I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Today, I'm speaking with Tom Butterworth, who is the Technical Director for Biodiversity, leading the work on Biodiversity Net Gain for WSP. Tom has almost 20 years' experience working for wildlife. Over this time, he has led practical management of sites of special scientific interest, developed local, regional, and national biodiversity strategies and policies, led programs of research, and managed the delivery of the government's biodiversity strategy. As Natural England Principal Advisor for Biodiversity and as lead for green infrastructure, Tom gained experience working with developers, wildlife organizations, community groups, and local authorities to enable development while supporting biodiversity. Tom today brings these, these skills to the delivery of net gain for biodiversity for a range of development and land management projects. So Tom, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. Thank you, Richard. It's great to be here. Very nice to be here. It's great to see you as well. So um, I believe you're down in, I, I, I'm going to say sunny southwest, but um, yeah, what's, what's the weather like today down there? Overcast southwest, but lovely nevertheless. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So um, I, I, as mentioned, we're going to have a quick fire session to start off with, if that's all right. So, um, you know, so before we explore the great insights into you and your your wonderful company, WSP, um, let's start by sh- um uh, setting a, some seemingly innocent questions, um, but they're you know they're really deep and meaningful, really. And so I'm sure that Myers Briggs will be um, 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 you know quite jealous of the sort of level of depth we're going to go into here. Okay. Uh, okay, you ready? ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, so the first question: habitats or species? Oh, you can't divide the two. What oh. is a habitat but a collection of species and and the abiotic? And and what is a species if not a reflection of the habitat? I think I think that's impossible to divide. Oh yeah, but if I if we had to force you, you to... yeah, which which one would you fall down? It doesn't mean that that the other one's bad. It just I'd means... write in the third option: ecosystems, and tick that. Oh, you know, I'll put that in then. Ecosystems, you can have that one. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so um, the second question then, so I'm going to have to make this up on the spot then. So um, um, if, if you did choose <laughs> habitats, okay, or any, any ecosystem, so uh, which ecosystem would you choose? Oh, I love wet woodlands, woodlands full of rivers and ponds and yeah, that, I love it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's my, that's my, that's my, uh, that's where I studied. That's what I, I love exploring. Yeah, that's, that's definitely my, my preference. And some of the upland woodlands on, on Dartmoor and so on are just beautiful. So yeah, that's absolutely what I love. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll go with that one. Uh, question three. Now, solve climate change or halt biodiversity loss? Do you know what? I feel like um, I'm being unhelpful because I don't think you can do one without the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we if we if we halted biodiversity if we solved climate change without halting biodiversity loss, we will have saved the world only to have lost what makes it precious. Um, 
And if we try and save biodiversity without dealing with climate change, we'll fail. Um, so we can't do one without the other. Um, that's becoming really clear now. Yeah. Uh, and so we've got to tackle both of them. In, they're, they're systems, aren't they? And they're interrelated systems. So we can't possibly deal with one system in isolation. So I apologize for putting that one in. No, no. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely, it's a really important question because uh, lots of people are asking. You know, we've and had lots of organizations saying, okay, tell us where to plant the trees to absorb the carbon without thinking about the impact on biodiversity. And that could be a negative impact if we get those trees in the wrong place or the wrong type of tree. Mm. Um, so yeah, really important question. Excellent. I'm sure we'll get onto that in, in um, you know, in a little bit more detail. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a little bit more lighthearted one. Okay. Books or films? Oh, I love books, but the amount of reading I do means I probably have to choose films. So <laughs> there we go. That's yeah, really... it's it's got to be films, but only because I'm rubbish at actually getting through books at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which book are you reading at the moment? There, can you remember? I am. I'm reading Isabel. Uh, no, not Isabella Tree's book. Mm. Uh, I would love to read that, but I'm actually reading Finding the Mother Tree uh, by Suzanne Simard, which is fantastic, and it's about the interrelationships between trees um, through fungal networks and so on, and their communication, and it's staggering. Um, I recommend it to everybody. Yeah, very good. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll look out for that one. I haven't, I haven't discovered that one yet. Yeah. And finally, what sport would you choose, fitness and skill aside, to represent GB at the next Olympic Games? Do you know what I would love to do? I would love to be in the climbing team. Wow, yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be fantastic. I think it's starting today. Uh, the, the sport climbing or the speed climbing and uh, yeah I would love to be involved in that stuff I go climbing quite a lot with one of my daughters and I'm rubbish and I would love to be good at it <laughs> well you've got four years to train Tom yeah absolutely that's my I think target. it's four years it may be five you never know <laughs> yeah yeah maybe three mightn't it if we go back yeah, if it goes back so to yeah mm, mm. yeah Great. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for those. And I say I'll, I'll, I'll post the answers uh, back to Myers-Briggs so they've they got those there. But uh, Very good. I'm sure we'll delve a little bit more deeper into sort of climate change and biodiversity loss as well uh, as we go along. So, uh, Tom, um, could you outline for me and um, the audience um, so your journey, really? So where you come from, mm -hmm. um, how you found a career in ecology, and perhaps what you did before such, your, such that career and defining moments along the way you know, before you work for WSP. Yeah, okay. Uh, where to start? Um, so so um, I've, not had, I've not had another career is, hmm. is the key point. So, so where, why I ask where to start is uh, I spent an awful lot of time with a mask and snorkel on, not in the sea around here in Devon, but uh, with my head in, the, in my pond in oh. the back garden. Um, looking, trying to watch everything as they are underwater, all the newts and, and uh, frogs and toads and, and everything else. Um, so I've loved biology and biodiversity my whole life. And um, uh, so I, I did a degree at Imperial College in bio, um, biology and then specializing in ecology. Um, and then while I was at university 
because Imperial is right in the heart of London, I volunteered in the Natural History Museum and I made a very good friend, um, Dinazad Rahim, who is, um, who is a, a, a fantastic uh, ecologist. Um, but she was at university with me um, and had come over from Sri Lanka and was really interested in Sri Lankan snails. So I went with her and uh, into the Malaska department in the Natural History Museum. Um, instead of, I think Wednesday afternoons, we were meant to be doing sport um, yes. at university. Yes. Yeah, and, I, and I didn't. And I went, we went to the Natural History Museum instead. And we spent the day or the afternoon. Um, well, I spent the, the time writing tiny labels for hundreds of different uh, uh, groups of species of, of snail um, in the collections, using all of the, the books that were produced by their authors with all their authors' notes in them. It was fantastic. Um, so it felt it felt very precious. Um, so so I, I spent some time there. And during that year, this is actually my first year at university. So it feels quite odd now to think that this is what I was doing in my first year at uni. But during that year, we then wrote a whole load of proposals to go and do some research um, mm -hmm. in Sri Lanka. And so over the summer, um, after my first year at uni, we went off to Sri Lanka, Dinazar and myself, and uh, and went to a whole load of forests across Sri Lanka to uh, collect and and categorise snails, um, and then got permission to bring all of those uh, a whole load back, so that we could then spend the following year uh, on our Wednesday afternoons uh, identifying them all. How easy was that then to, to actually bring back a collection from uh, Sri Lanka then? We had to get permission from uh, all the relevant bodies, both uh, UK and, and in Sri Lanka. So, yeah, but, but because we were associated with the Natural History Museum um, and we had a, we'd made a very good friend, Fred Nags, who's now retired, but was the, uh, the curator of the Malaska department at the time, I believe. Um, so he was able to sort of steer us through uh, all of that uh, difficulty. Um, but yeah, we, we, we got permission, brought it back, um, and then uh, uh, spent a lot of time identifying these snails. And then following my degree, we then wrote, a, it took us the, <laughs> the next two years in our Wednesday afternoons and, and any free time we could find um, to write that all up. And we got it written up as a, as a Natural History Museum report. And then we spent the following year after university writing up another proposal to go back. Uh, and then we went back um, uh, and spent six months there, uh, again, focusing on that time, focusing on just a couple of forests, uh, 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 an old growth and, and something that was actually had been cut and regrown um, uh, and looking at changes across altitudinal differences and and uh, uh, and so on. And um, and then again, brought that back and spent the following eight months or so identifying, writing up and, and so on. Um, so that was my start, and I feel really lucky to have had that as a beginning. Um, and it was because of Dinazard, um, my 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 friend and colleague, and Fred Nags, and having a having other people. You know, he was um, obviously quite um, well established in his career, and having people that are well established to be able to say, "Yes, okay, I'll help you and bring you on," and 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 help you through all of navigate through all of that writing of bids and and so on was incredibly valuable uh, we couldn't have done it without him okay so um, and that was um you know, i mean how did you approach so did fred approach you or did you approach fred no, we we approached him mm -hmm. 
so we we knocked on his door and said hey we want to come and we want to come and do some stuff here we want to be part of this this fantastic organization of the natural history museum and we want to learn more while we're doing it um and yeah so i i would strongly <laughs> encourage anybody listening if they're in that position you know early in their career don't wait to be asked knock on people's doors and ask and say um, you know, I'm interested in X, Y, and Z, and at the very least, they'll put you in the right, you know, point you in the right direction. That's great um, advice. Yeah. So yeah. So then um, after that, I I did, um, you know, I explored doing PhDs, and I decided actually I didn't want to do more tropical forest ecology. Um, I felt I felt slightly frustrated that um, we were doing some fantastic work, but the reports we were producing were basically going into um, uh, onto shelves for people in the forest department or the archaeology department in, in Sri Lanka and not necessarily being acted upon. Um, so, yeah, so I, I decided I wanted to move to doing something in the UK. Yeah. The other part of this was it, it felt that, um, so that the real benefit we were providing by going to Sri Lanka and doing that work really was to us as individuals learning the skills and, and of, of our of, of ecology um, but also supporting local ecologists there so we were working with local ecologists um, uh, Dean Azard was from Sri Lanka is from Sri Lanka but but we're um, also working with local ecologists there and that felt really valuable but the actual work of the ecology felt like I was sort of there was a very long way to go before we had in Sri Lanka the um, resources to be able to deal with Look, doing wildlife conservation or protecting areas um, and at the time it was in the middle of a civil war as well which it felt like that you know the the, the local people where they, you know that we were working with felt they had more important things to deal with and you know understandably so yeah. so so I moved to working in the UK so I worked on um, uh, started working uh, volunteering for all the fantastic conservation organizations we've got here whether it be the wildlife trust on the beach in devon or i worked on a uh, for about a year i worked on an island in the seven estuary called Flatholm, um which is a, a yes. yeah okay yeah which is a, a fantastic sssi um and uh so i worked there as a warden um and that meant doing uh, environmental education guided tours surveys um, habitat management, all the stuff that I hadn't learned at university, um, as well as learning about all of the starting to learn about all the legislation and the policy and so on in the UK. Um, so that that was incredibly valuable. Then moved to another SSSI in Oxfordshire. So going from uh, coastal right to the middle of the of, of England. Um, and that um, is uh, it was called the Northmore Trust. It's now called the Earth Trust, and it's a beautiful grassland woodland SSSI right along the edge of the Thames, with a fantastic population of great crested newts, um, uh, and uh, and it's a small independent charity um, uh, that do some fantastic work. And and if you ever get to go to Oxfordshire, go to um, uh, it's just outside Didcot, between Didcot and Wallingford. Um, uh, it's quite flat there and the two big hills you can see are the nature reserve and it's stunning and uh, yeah, fantastic place. Um, so I spent quite a long time there, but I was actually working in environmental education. So 
at the time I, I felt like what I wanted to do is 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 um uh yeah work with with kids taking them outside and exploring the nature reserve working in schools and taking them out and 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 working and looking at their local environment in in and around their school um so that felt uh yeah uh, really rewarding um, can I just take you back a, a little bit there? Yeah. Actually. So, um, you know, so uh, I, mean, I don't know where you um, you grew up looking in your pond for snails. I mean, was that down in the southwest? Yeah. So this is I, I grew up in the southwest um, uh, and have moved back here. Um, so, yeah, it's um, between the coast, uh, the, the Devon, South Devon coast and Dartmoor and and uh, down the River Dart. So, yeah, it's um, uh, yeah, we grew up. I grew up in a tiny little village called Staverton and and you know I was finding lizards in my backyard and um you know calling to the owls and watching the bats and yeah th- sadly most of them are not there now but mm. um uh you know this is 40 years no yes almost 40 years ago mm. so uh yeah so you um so you know growing up in the southwest um moving to London you know yep. going to Sri Lanka you know living got you lived on Flat home. Yes, yes, for a year. Moving on flat yeah. home, moving to Oxfordshire, you know, the, I mean, what sort of, uh, uh, you know, so you went to university at the age of 20, was it, or 19? Yeah, yeah, 19, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Oxfordshire, so what sort of time scale are we looking at here? So, um, so my question really is... So I was in my my late 20s, I guess, mid to late 20s. Okay, so you spent, you know, yours, uh, you know, a little bit of informative years then traveling around. So, I mean, how did you cope with that in terms of, you know, move, I imagine it was the first time you moved away from home when you went to university? Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was, absolutely. Well, I mean... Was it something um, you looked forward to, actually? <laughs> the the bottom line was that you couldn't get jobs if you stayed in one place. You know, we didn't have a big industry of ecological consultancies. That wasn't there. Um, and even when I left university, they were just starting to talk about this. They were advertising MSC saying, come and do this. There's going to be a great opportunity with the habitat regulations coming through and so on. Um, and, but, but there wasn't the, the, the number of consultancies, even the wildlife trusts and the RSPB weren't the size that they are now. Um, and so to get the jobs, you had to, at the time, get into volunteering. I mean, the, 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 you know, the first job that year was entirely voluntary. They paid, while I was on flat home, I obviously got somewhere to sleep. It was a dormitory, but, you know, um, I got somewhere to sleep and, and, and food. Um, but I had no money off the back of that. So I was still living, I had to commute from Devon for when I was not on the island and, and live with my parents for a while. So, um, and then when I was off the island, I was working in a cafe um uh you know trying to make a little bit of money mm. um uh so yeah so uh yeah my weekends or or it wasn't quite weekends because it was you'd be on there for 10 days and then off for a, a few um but those days I was not on the island I was I was working as well uh, because there weren't the jobs there so yeah so but and that meant having to move yeah. you know uh, if if I was going to take a job it meant moving to wherever it needed to be absolutely um, so yeah yeah, I think it's it's quite different now, which is good. It's, it should be. No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I think sometimes we, 
expect things to come to us rather than we seek out um, opportunities mm. as well. So um, yeah, I mean, very good uh, <laughs> lessons to learn there. So um, so you're in Oxfordshire. So um, outdoor yeah. well, well, education. So um, um, well, what, you, what happened next then? Yeah. So I, I decided I wanted to get back into. So rather than doing environmental education, I explored doing you know teacher training, and I decided actually I wanted to get back into ecology. But after doing what was quite a uh, 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 very science-focused degree, I wanted to do something that was uh, a little bit different. So I went and did an MSc in holistic science, um, and that was based down here in the southwest as well, um, it's, uh, Schumacher College, which is part of uh, uh, associated with Plymouth University, um, and that's people ask, well, what what does that mean? It's it's really looking at whole systems. Um, so it's it's looking at whether you're looking at animal behavior from the whole animal's perspective um, or uh, uh, health from the whole human perspective, rather than trying to look at how this is working at an individual cell level, um, but also looking at ecosystems and trying to, uh, coming back to your question about habitats or species, trying to look at them as a whole and see how we would respond differently to those ecosystems as a whole um, and of course then you can't then th simply think about the ecosystem we have to think about the the climate and and the weather system and and so on um so that was really fascinating and um incredibly eye-opening and uh and and a very different way of looking and thinking about things and um um and we studied things like organizational change and um through uh, at the time dancing tango which was a really interesting way of looking at Okay. So, so yeah. the reason behind this is that tango is a really clear dance where you've got a leader and, and somebody following very often. Um, and so what happens when you break that down? Uh, what happens when you dance with more than two people and don't define who the leader is? What does that physically feel like? Um, that alongside lectures and so on on organizational change is incredibly valuable. And so if you treat each subject in that way it becomes an incredibly interesting way of learning so yeah um that that was great that was a year um and i was very lucky to be able to step into that and and get support from my family to be able to do that mm -hmm. um so yeah and that that then led me on to other areas of work um i stepped back into doing environmental conservation uh, sorry environmental education uh for a uh, a year or so, uh, a couple of years, maybe at, at the Northmore Trust, um, but then moved to working for another small charity in Oxfordshire that was called Oxfordshire Nature Conservation Trust. I think it's now called Wild Oxfordshire, um, that coordinated the conservation work across Oxfordshire. Um, so shifting out of environmental education into, um, uh, yeah, working as a partner in a, in a wider partnership to try and manage and coordinate the conservation work and and we set up um craig blackwell who's a fantastic ecologist in the local authority set up uh conservation target areas um which are uh, targeted areas for biodiversity right. biodiversity opportunity areas and i was then working with the biodiversity action plan in the county to try and coordinate that but target that into these core areas um uh, so, yeah, so that was a fantastic job. And it got me to work with the Wildlife Trust, the uh, uh, RSPB, the local authorities, but also people like the NFU, the AOMBs, um, uh, you know, the, all of the partners uh, involved in this type of work in the area. 
uh, and try and coordinate that. Oh, and of course, the statutory agencies, the Environment Agency and Natural England and so on. So it sounds like, you know, a lot of them, you know, your time was spent in communication, really, then, um, you know, if you're, you're liaising with these um, um, uh, NGOs and um, um, governmental bodies as well, as well as, of course, you know, obtaining the permits, you know, as you go back to Sri Lanka and so forth, a lot of this resonates to was actually, you know, effective communication. Yeah, I mean, what I was struck by both during the holistic science studies and and then wanted to really play out in in the work in in Oxfordshire was that we can't do any of this alone and we the only way we can tackle the biodiversity crisis is in partnership mm-hmm. and i strongly believe that we need to see everybody as our ally um so you know th- there's there's often a lot of perceived conflict about um what we should be doing for biodiversity and and i and i think actually um we move much faster if we're working collaboratively yeah and that means not holding on to any one view too strongly and trying to see things from multiple points of view and that feels right and uh and it feels respectful of the other people as well that i'm working with which you know, is is much really rewarding. So yeah, that absolutely communication uh, and that network of people. Yeah, that's vital. Yeah, so, yeah, communication, networking, and 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 as you just mentioned that, you know, having that an open mind. Then so you know, looking yeah. at so you know you you're studying you know different papers and so forth, not necessarily related to ecology. You know, just to to, to, to you know, dancing, um, yes. but, uh, but yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's bringing all those elements together to have, I suppose, as you say, you know, holistic view of solving a problem. Yes. Yeah. Because very often the problem, you know, you, we, you asked about climate and, and biodiversity. Yeah, yes. Very often the problem isn't only one thing. Um, very often it's multiple issues. Uh, and, and if we, really can break down those barriers about well i want this and someone else wants that and get beyond that to actually thinking uh how we work together very often there is a sweet spot where mm-hmm. we get something that is going to work for all of us not always but very often and that's that's where we need to be heading i think okay great so um you know I'm, um i'm very conscious of your time so we'll we'll, we'll push on slightly um, so, I mean, uh, let's talk about your first role w- within Natural England, because that, that seems quite a pivotal role as well within sort of what you were doing now. But um, so how did you get into the role with Natural England? And um, so, so how did that how did you progress through that that uh, position as um, in, in, in I think it was, was it biodiversity? Um, I'm sorry about this. Uh, yeah, no, you, no, natural okay. principal advisor, wasn't it? Yeah, so I, I didn't step in straight into that role. So <laughs> uh, I was working in Oxfordshire and we were working on the biodiversity action plans. And I stood up at a conference with all of the biodiversity action plan people. And I had five minutes to present. And I stood up and said, uh, death to biodiversity action plans, long live biodiversity opportunity areas. And <laughs> uh, and I got absolute silence, wow. nobody saying anything. And then one person at the back just went, yay. And um, what I was trying to say is that we need to move away from tons of different isolated little plans and work on a, uh, a coherent plan that looks at the whole ecosystem, and the landscape. Um, and 
so so I, I got into some discussions with people in Natural England about this uh, and then was uh, had the opportunity to apply for a biodiversity coordinator for the southeast. So doing the same job that I was doing in Oxfordshire, but for the southeast of England. And at the time we had regional government. Um, and so each agency also had a regional team. Um, and so I was part of a team. I was uh, drawn in to be the biodiversity lead for the southeast in Natural England alongside someone who was looking at health from the environment, someone else looking at green infrastructure and so on. So we had this team looking at different aspects of the environment, landscape and so on. Um, and within that role, I um, uh, was managing a partnership um, that was chaired by a fantastic man called Tim Bynes, um, uh, who was ex-Natural England uh, director. Um, and again, you know, these mentors, um, uh, I've mentioned Fred and, and now Tim, these mentors through my career have been incredibly important to me. Uh, Robin Buxton back in, in, in Oxfordshire was equally incredibly important uh, as a mentor. Um, I mean, you'd only have to look up these people on, uh, on, on uh, Google or something, and you'll see that they've got this incredible uh, conservation background. And, and really their support and help was vital. But yeah, so coordinating the work across the Southeast and again, working with all of those partners, um, uh, but at a different scale. So working with all of the wildlife trusts across the Southeast and, and you know, the, the RSPB, the NFU um, uh, and others, um, as well as all the local authorities to identify biodiversity opportunity areas and set up a strategy that could be embedded in the regional plan and then in local plans, inform agro-environment schemes. So we had higher level and entry level stewardship at the time um, and target that, target work for um, uh, development um, and, and really bring together all of that story so that we could get our places looking fantastic. Um, so that's, that's what I was doing. I, uh, then uh, that sort of disappeared really from Natural England's work because we a new government came in and we removed the regions from our structure in, in England. Um, and so all of that work to get a fantastic regional plan uh, was put to one side. Now, what's great is the local authorities pick that up. And if you look at biodiversity opportunities in the Southeast, you'll still see you know, them in Surrey and Kent and so on um, and Sussex. And that's because all of those partners really bought into that right. uh, and have, have taken those forward. And, and they're, they're becoming the foundation for the nature recovery network that we're now developing, which is really nice to see. Um, but that, that um, dissolving of that regional tier meant that I was moved into a different role. Um, what year are we? Sorry, sorry, Tom. Uh, what, what year, oh, what that's a really good question. This is about... Early 2000? Yeah. Uh, maybe no it's no it's later than that i think yeah. so where where are we five maybe 10 years ago later. okay 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 yeah so 2010 this is so um uh yeah this was at the time that the lawton report was produced making space for nature where we were just resetting all of the biodiversity targets um for uh, up to 2030 which of course we we missed um and, and it was the drafting of the Biodiversity 2020. Um, so I was given a role, which I thought would, I was <laughs> rather frustrated with at the time. So I was given the role to look after um, within Natural England, um, green infrastructure uh, and local enterprise partnerships, which were a new beast at the time. Yeah. Um, 
but that also meant that I could move down to the southwest. So I moved down down here um, because this was a national role. And and I say I was I was quite frustrated and um, because it wasn't what I wanted to do. Where was the biodiversity in all of this? Mm. And uh, and actually, it was brilliant. Mm. Um, in what way? What did you, was it liberating? So, yeah. I had this lovely discussion with Alan Law, who's now, I think, one of the exec directors in Natural England. He was my director at the time. Uh, he's a lovely guy. And and he had this long conversation where for the first half of it, I was thinking he was offering me this role and I could turn it down. And then the second half, I realized that wasn't the case at all. He was telling me, but he had taken the time out of his his day to actually spend the time to to allow me to work that out for myself, which I thought was very generous of him. But um, uh <laughs> So, yeah, so I was sitting in Exeter looking out and thinking, well, how am I going to make this green infrastructure work for me? How is this going to uh, this this work going to mean something? And this is where I started to get into thinking about natural capital, um, ecosystem services um, and and that aspect of our work. Um, and I also it really helped me to reframe green infrastructure and rather than seeing it as the, the parks inside an urban space or the little patches of green in an urban area it helped me to see that it's the it actually green infrastructure is the the network of green space within which we build stuff yeah so this was very obvious sitting in exeter in at the top of the this tower block that natural england used to to, to have an office in because you could see Dartmoor at one end, you could see the river coming through and the city was built in this context. Yeah, the city isn't, the, the green space isn't simply in the context of the urban environment. The urban environment is in the context of the wider green space. Um, so that felt like a shift that then made green infrastructure make sense to me. This isn't about tiny little parks, although they're really important, it's how they link together and it's how they become part of an ecosystem. And then our, if we think about that, our urban areas are our newest ecosystem. Yeah. You know, they're, they're the, they've only been around for sort of 10,000 years or however long cities have been around. And, and so we're still seeing things evolve and adapt and shift to move into these cities. Um, and I think there's a fantastic opportunity to help that happen to help species colonize this new environment. Um, and, and so I started working with a fantastic guy called Tim Sunderland, who's the head of economics in Natural England, to look at how we join natural capital, the economics up with green infrastructure and, and trying to sell that to the local enterprise partnerships among others. Um, and so this led to a whole load of research that we funded. Um, so there was research into uh, green infrastructure as a catalyst for economic growth, which is a DEFRA report you can have a look at. Um, there's, a, there's a fantastic report that Tim authored called Microeconomic Benefits from the Natural Environment, um, uh, MENI, uh, and, uh, and, and so on. And, and so we, we also looked at all of the tools for assessing green infrastructure and, and, and got those assessed in their own right against the green book so the government's way of assessing um, making economic assessments um, and 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 other standards um, so yeah it was really exciting way of sort of expanding out what i was doing from thinking about habitat species and ecosystems to think about those ecosystems including people um, 
which I think is actually now now looking back on it, uh, you know, it feels like an obvious step, but at the time it felt like quite a quite a shift. Because you know a lot, a lot of the sort of um, terminology you're using there, um, you know, I know it's you know ten years ago, uh, and uh, to some people that's a lifetime ago. Obviously, it's just like seems like yesterday. Mm. Um, but um, you know, you, you know, you're mentioning about natural capital, and I'm sure these were you know new words forming within our vocabulary, shall we say? But um, they seem to be sort of mainstream now with them, you know, movements towards a promotion of biodiversity net gain to. Not obviously, it's a little bit easier sell to ecologists, but to developers and investors within sort of um, who may have a you know different um, sort of um, agendas, shall we say? You know, you know, everyone's got an agenda, but um, yeah. So, so you were introducing this new terminology, um, and how how was that received? Well, introducing is a bit generous, I think, to me. <laughs> I was picking it up and, yeah. and and trying to help communicate it. You know, it's back to that point about communication. Um, well, I. I dived right into the deep end and what and, and Tim and I produced a methodology um, to called lead which isn't the same as the international methodology called lead but it's on the there's a website called Enco, which is enabling natural capital approach that natural England have produced and 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 there's links to most of these documents on there but um, this methodology was to help local enterprise partnerships take the natural environment into account but we didn't do it by saying, hey, the natural environment's important, why don't you look after it? What we did is say, let's have a look at your economic plan that you've drafted and and then identify risks to that plan that arise from not taking account of the natural environment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for example, if let's say, um, without me specifying the specific area, one local enterprise partnership said, well, agri-tech is going to be our big business because that's our big business now. So we're going to expand that. We know that agri-tech is incredibly water dependent. We also know that in that area on drought years, agri-tech businesses have to close down to allow water to be provided for you and I and everybody else, you know, for our taps. Um, so it seemed like an obvious question to ask, well, why are you focusing on agri-tech agri if we know climate change is coming mm -hmm. and water is already uh, a scarce resource in those drought years? Um, and then, well, how do we deal with that? Well, maybe part of that uh, uh, enterprise partnerships plan could be to work with farmers to make sure that they're able to hold water on their land so that they don't have to take water from the rivers or from wherever they're taking from the supply um, so that they've got that and and could those areas also be biodiverse and beautiful absolutely um, so so we started to try and open that discussion up and sometimes it was really successful and sometimes it was an absolute car crash yeah. and they thought i was talking nonsense um, you know but this is uh, this is sort of eight years ago i guess and and uh, yeah, it was a, sometimes it was a real challenge, but where we got the successes, it was really exciting. Uh, and we saw some major changes in how they were taking forward natural capital um, and embedding it into their thinking. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, you know, it's extremely important. Well, yeah, ex extremely important for, um, I say, those um, stakeholders to get engaged, you know, at, uh, at, at the earlier stages. And so, uh, so this is still with Natural England. Um, so um, yeah. um, how did the role with WSP arise then? So while I was doing this green infrastructure role, I was shadowing the work on biodiversity offsetting. So that was kicking off and running. So 
back when I was working in the southeast, we were I was trying I was working with Julia Baker to try and convince the Julia Baker's in Balfour Beatty, and I'll come back to her later because um, she'll show up later in my story, I'm sure. Um, but um, we were trying to convince the local partnership that taking money from development and targeting that into good areas for biodiversity would be a good thing to do and having a partnership to oversee that would be helpful now we didn't convince anybody at the time but basically what we were talking about is offsetting we didn't have the terminology for it at the time um, but we wanted to take away the mitigation work from the edge of the highway which is no good for the door mice and no good for the highways organization and put it onto a wildlife site better for the door mice better for the wild uh, the highways organization so uh, we weren't successful. But then when I moved into this green infrastructure role, I was shadowing the people in DEFRA um, uh, to, uh, that were setting up and running these pilots. Um, then I moved in, I actually, that was just moving to me as a role. So I was going to pick up the biodiversity offsetting work just as those pilots finished. Um, and then I moved into another role um, in uh, Natural England as principal biodiversity advisor and that was really doing the same job I'd done in the southeast across the whole country um, so across England looking after biodiversity 2020 working in a partnership to try and deliver uh, positive outcomes yeah. and we were not doing this was about uh, five years ago no seven years ago 2015-16 um, and we were not doing badly we were doing okay as in we were failing on some targets but some targets we're actually doing all right on um, then we changed agri-environment scheme and left Europe and 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 the number of people in agri-environment schemes dropped massively because of the uncertainty. And suddenly our delivery dropped massively as well. So, yeah, and and uh, yeah, really, really challenging time. And we had to go back to, to, to DEFRA saying, well, actually, we thought we were on track for some of the targets and, and actually we're not um, anymore. Anyway, so that actually was a relatively short period of time. Um, but it was a fantastic role and started to build this sort of national um, connections with lots of different organizations. Um, then sort of a, two years or so into that role, WSP approached me and said, hey, how do you do you want to get involved in this biodiversity net gain work again? Uh, would you like to come and work for us? Um, and at the time, I felt like I just to be really clear, I don't think this is the case now, but at the time, I felt my role was really just reporting to DEFRA the loss of biodiversity. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I felt like we weren't actually able to do much positively. I was just telling them, oh, well, we've got this number of species that we think are at risk of extinction and these habitats, we, we don't think we're going to be able to meet this target for in, enhancing these habitats. And this is where we are with the SSSIs, which isn't, isn't quite where we wanted to be. And it felt like really valuable to, to tell that story but it also felt really frustrating. Yeah. Now I think mm -hmm. Natural England, with Tony Juniper and 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 the, the shift there, we've has actually turned around and is is seems to be in a completely different space now. But five six years ago, I felt well actually I want to do something that's having an impact on the ground. Yeah. Um, so I moved into WSP and there I took on a role uh, leading our work on biodiversity net gain. And at the time, it was three organizations, Barclay Group, um, Network Rail, Transport for London, and 
Highways England 4 or so that were committing to biodiversity net gain plus a few local authorities and that was it. And I, and we had one project that we were doing, maybe two on biodiversity net gain. Um, and I was brought in to try and see if we could make something of it. Um, uh, that was a role actually that Julia, Julia Baker, I mentioned earlier, had been doing and she had moved back into Balfour Beatty. So uh, I picked up the phone to her and said, right, okay, let's collaborate. Let's make, you know, coming back to this point about working together. And um, I said, you know, before I even took the role, I said, right, let's, how do you feel about me taking this role? Uh, should we work together to try and make this really happen? Um, and and of course, Julia said yes. So, um, so yeah, so we published white papers, we worked with lots of organisations and, and trying to um, push forward the agenda for net gain for biodiversity. And, and I think it's really important there's, to recognise that the position we're in without biodiversity net gain is that most of the habitats get ignored. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we only identify in an AIA, we only identify the stuff that's significant, the impacts that are significant. And so you can lose a whole load of habitats and say, well, they're not nationally significant if you're on a big project. Biodiversity net gain takes into account everything. Is it perfect? No, but it takes into account all of those habitats. And if it's done well, all of those habitats understanding the importance that yeah. those have for species and as part of a wider ecosystem um now i think, I think so, sometimes perfect can be the enemy of good isn't it really that's uh, you know you, yeah, you don't yeah. achieve anything we, I th it's really that. important to step forward from where we are rather than think where we want to be and and try and try and hit that because where we want to be if we tr constantly try and hit the perfect yeah we we miss um, and that's always frustrating. Whereas if we start from where we are, which is most of the habitats are ignored uh, in a planning decision, um, uh, actually biodiversity net gain is a massive step forward. You know, there's some, been some discussions in the press, not that uh, recently about scrub not being valued very highly. Mm, mm. Now in most EIAs, unless that scrub's supporting hair streak, black hair streak butterflies, in most EIAs, that scrub's going to be ignored as not significant. So it's going from, it's not going from it's really valuable to, oh, well, biodiversity net gain will downgrade it. It's going from it's ignored. Yeah, yeah which is basically still valuing it, but valuing it at zero. Mm -hmm. So, so that felt really powerful. And I don't know, I, I feel really lucky, because I think I stepped into that within WSP at a time where the principles were just published. Um, and then off the back of that, the guidance, CIEM, Syria and AIMA said they were going to produce some guidance. Uh, Julia, myself and Rachel Hoskin, who also came out of Natural England and was working in a, a footprint ecology, um, teamed together. She was the person that I passed the offsetting work to when I moved into my different role. So, you know, we were bringing together the, the, the team that had been working on this in DEFRA and, and, and outside. Um, and yet yeah, we drafted the guidance and off the back of that, Natural England have picked up and said, okay, well, we're going to standardize the metrics. Um, we were trying to do that outside or uh, government anyway. We were, you know, using the same version of the metric for BRIAM, for, um, yeah. for TFL, for Natural, uh, for uh, Highways England and, uh, you know, and so on. Now, did that work successfully everywhere? No, but we were, it was becoming standardized. And, and Natural England have really just sort of jumped on that and said, yes, okay, we'll standardize it and here we go. Um, and yeah, and then we've been very lucky to be involved in all of that 
um, development, uh, organizations, local authorities and so on have, have picked up. And now we've got, you know, from me and one other, Laura Humphrey, fantastic colleague who I was working with right at the start of all of this in WSP. We've now got a team of, do you know what, I'm not even sure how many, uh, uh, 11 12 people working full-time on biodiversity net game we're recruiting another two in the next or bringing in another couple in the next couple of weeks um and then we've got a team of about 160 ecologists mm. who are all doing bits of biodiversity net gain one way or another um you know whether it be the assessment out on site or or the calculations and so on um so yeah so from uh, and that's over the last five years which has been very exciting yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been amazing changes, as you say, in a relatively short period of time. Um, and I think, you know, with, you know certainly with the, the good practice principle, uh, you know, guidelines here that coming in. So it, going back to those, actually. Um, so, you know, there was a collaboration between yourself, Julia and uh, and Rachel Hoskins. Yeah. Hoskin. And um, so, I mean, how did that how did that come about? Was that you approaching Julia or was it was it something that actually was formed? between a different parties at all. So um, just take me for that, that journey. Um, well, uh, as I said, Julia and I had been talking about this back when I was working in the Southeast. And when I took on this role, I knew I was stepping into a role that she had been doing. So, you know, we were already in, in contact and it felt like it's really important when we're bidding for work that there's competition. That's the right thing to happen. Mm. But equally, Getting the right team together to collaborate is, is really, really, really valuable. And so it felt like we needed a view from construction to be able to answer the questions around biodiversity net gain. We needed a view from uh, consultancy and, and that sort of design piece. And we needed a view from actually linked to local authorities. And, and there were lots of different local authorities we could have gone with. But actually what we chose to do is go with Rachel, who was in a consultancy, but working with lots of local authorities. Mm. We then drew in um, others to be expert advisors. So we drew in Nick White in Natural England, who leads the work there on biodiversity net gain. We drew in Kerry Tenkata, who is, a, again, another fantastic person, a mentor to me, um, who, um, informally, I should say, um, uh, uh, who led the work to develop the business and biodiversity offsetting program internationally. I mean, she is incredible. And um, so we drew in on, and, and gave them opportunities to feed in and tell us what we were doing as well. So getting that right team so that we really did have the right people in the right place to answer these questions. That's what became the vital piece of this puzzle. So how do we do that? Well, we knock on their door and, and ask. And, um, you know, it's the, it's the same thing right back that? to the yeah. very beginning, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, what I've heard from, um, um, I think we, we are, I'm very conscious of your time. So we, I think we're, we're trying, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to try to wrap it up a little bit for you. Um, okay. in, in, yeah, a lot of this is, is all about, I say that's having the confidence in one way or in, in one way, sort of a, confidence or naivety of, of thinking actually yeah. what's the worst yeah. that can happen you know yeah. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. I don't know you know it's, 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 it's a um sometimes having too much knowledge can hold us back um, and yeah. thinking oh well I, this will go wrong that will go wrong but actually having the confidence or naivety to go forward and actually say you know what's, what's the worst that can happen people will say no 
I'm in yeah. the same position as I am now. Yeah, so. absolutely. And 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 recognizing that that no is not you're doing the wrong thing, mm-hmm. or uh, it's it's probably just um, I'm too busy, and and that's okay. Yeah. Um, the vast majority of people will will say yes. I think, um, in my experience, anyway, and. Um, you know, and those that do say yes are often the ones you want to be working with anyway, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, in terms of, I mean, I suppose a little few practical tips for, I mean, this podcast is um, in its, it's aimed at any ecologist, you know, or anyone interested in ecology at all, um, you know, whether it be as a, an ecologist, a professional ecologist, or even developers and so forth. So in terms of advice for maybe early stage career ecologists then, so, I mean, what sort of practical or what elements should be, we, they be focused upon in terms of the biodiversity net gain principles? I mean, what, what would you be take home messages? What's the key point from it? Uh, I was thinking uh, in terms of the biodiversity net gain principles, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, I think making measurable um, uh, principle number five, if I remember correctly, is making a measurable contribution. The point there is that that measurable piece, all of the stuff around the metric, is half of one of the principles. Right. Yeah, it's it's not even the whole of one principle. Um, and what are we making a contribution to? Well, we should be making a contribution to the biodiversity targets and ambitions within the local area. Yeah, those biodiversity opportunity areas we were talking about earlier, or the nature recovery strategies. Um, so I think it's really important to look at all of the rest, delivering the best outcome for biodiversity, making sure that you're following the mitigation hierarchy, yeah. making sure that you are delivering for species, ecosystems and habitats, um, avoiding losses that can't be uh, uh, recreated elsewhere. And there's a principle uh, that's written as, as it stands at the moment called optimizing sustainability. And really that's about trying to make sure, yes, we deliver biodiversity net gain, but we should also be looking at, well, what other things can we deliver with this? Can we also deliver access to green space? Can we also uh, increase flood resilience? Um, and that comes back to this point about natural capital. Yeah. So I think my advice would be do what you love, Absolutely. Look at all of these principles. And in the same way, when we're doing ecology, we need to step out of just thinking about the newts or the bats and think about the ecosystem as a whole, which includes people. You know, we're part of that. And we need to be part of that. Wonderful. Okay, and thank you very much. That that's uh, I feel like I'm going to end it there because that's that's a, that's a really good uh, ending. But but um, before we do, um, so what what are you currently working on at the moment, Tom? Or what's uh, you know yourself and WSP working on, and uh, we can look forward to uh, hearing or seeing in the in the future. Well, we've just released a whole load of research on public opinion on on biodiversity, which I think is really interesting and it's worth a look. We did this with a uh, a think tank called Bright Blue, um, and as ever, these what's lovely is that they're surprising and surprising in a really positive way. So, for example, seventy percent of people said that they would support large infrastructure if it was. Uh, benefiting the natural environment, more likely to support 
large infrastructure projects if it's benefiting the natural environment and and we see that playing out now in the environment bill mm. but it's you know it's it's no wonder that uh that that's the case that it's in the environment bill because we've got such groundswell of support um so that's one piece is about um looking at how we deliver biodiversity that's really integrated with where people are as well as these biodiversity opportunity areas are really enhanced and beautiful areas perhaps slightly further from where people are living or most people are living the other is that we've got the uh, biodiversity cop coming up ah yes there'll mm. be a there'll be a, a sort of ceremony in in the autumn but then i think it's now going to be delayed to early next year where the the key discussions all happen um i've seen some there's an early draft that's been produced and there's some targets in there for businesses um and i think that one of the key things that we need to do next is really understand what nature positive means lots of organizations are committing to nature positive and what does that mean for a business yeah and biodiversity net gain may be part of that but we also need to think about their supply chain the value chain as well so the whole story of that business um and and make that both resilient to change but also make it so that that's able to enhance biodiversity that's a massive challenge and that's something that i think mm. you know is absolutely crucial if we're going to deal with both climate and the biodiversity emergencies absolutely absolutely and and, and um in, in some, i mean i mean I, I may be wrong on this but um i suppose the last significant event then for the convention was i suppose 1992 really so yeah. you know, there, was, there was a draft of um well obviously obviously legislation but also um um uh, you know obviously consultations that, that led to, from 1992 but do you think there'll be the same or similar um with this one in china i i would love to say yes but i really don't think there will be right. um rio in 92 um was i was 17 and it was mentioned on saturday morning television mm -hmm. um you know as a as a something all the kids should be aware of and understanding and um you know, at the time, pop stars were out in the Amazon trying to convince everybody that this was important. Um, uh, we've since then we've had, you know, we've had another um, uh, in in around two thousand, then two thousand and ten. We've had a, not additional commitments. Um, they didn't get the same level of press, or, or you know. Uh, uh, awareness and yet we're losing our ecosystems yeah. at just as fast a rate so i would love to say yes but i think there's a big job to do actually the only so so i think that's that's all true but i think there is a glimmer of hope and i think the glimmer of hope is that organizations that i wouldn't expect to be thinking about this stuff are starting to recognize biodiversity so some of the big financial organizations, mm, yeah. the World Bank recently published a report saying business as usual is no longer possible because of the biodiversity crisis. Um, Citibank, Citigroup have recently uh, published a paper on this as well. These aren't the, you know, <laughs> this isn't the conservation organization shouting about this. Um, although, of course, they are, and rightly so. This is a much broader group of people. And I think that's that's my glimmer of hope 
yeah. in amongst all of this. Wonderful. So um, wrapping things up, Tom, um, so how can we connect with you or what's the best way to find out about um, both yourself and, and WSP? Well, I didn't say much about WSP, did I? Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure I should have said much more. But, you know, um, do have a look at the website. We've just won a, a sustainability award for the organisation. Um, I think third year in a row. You know, I think we have to call ourselves an environmental engineering company now because about a quarter of our staff are environmental specialists um, with a real global impact. So we've got, I don't know, something like over 50,000 staff globally. Wow. Um, and it's really exciting. And mm. so, yeah, get in touch via LinkedIn. Um, that's the best way. Um, drop me a line. I try to reply to everything um, and uh, uh, that comes up. And um, yeah, let's keep the networks growing. Great. I, lo- I love you. Actually, I do. Lo- I, I really do like um, USP's toolkit um, for, um, um, for, for, for biodiversity net gain as well. So it's quite interactive. So if, if, you, if no, yeah. one's, no one's clicked on that link, do. It's, it's very, it, you know, it's very informative. Um, I learned a lot from that. So that, that's, that's brilliant. But um, um so, uh, Tom Putworth, thank you so much for joining me um, today on the Ecology Academy podcast. It's been great talking with you, and I wish you all the success, all, su- all the success, uh, a greatness, greatest of success, I say, <laughs> to both you and WSP in the future. But thank you for coming on to the Ecology Academy podcast today. Thank you, Richard. Real pleasure. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player as that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent, and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour, so stay curious, be adventurous, and build bridges for others to cross.